0: Well, friends, it's good to see you all. It's good to, to be with you all today. Um, today's the third Sunday in Lent, and uh, which means that it's our third Sunday in our sermon series called Deep Calls Out to Deep. Um, like we've said in uh, the last couple weeks, this is a nod to Psalm 42, where the psalmist um, is speaking from a place of desperation and uses this line of deep calls out to deep. And I love this line because it's it's one of those lines that as soon as you try to explain it, like, it loses the, the depth and the meaning of it, right? It's, it's something that moves past our mind and begins to speak into our souls, right? And the sense of it is is that there's a, a deepness within us that's longing for another sort of deepness, whether that be the deepness of who God is or the deepness of this life that God is inviting us into or um, a, an ever-deepening understanding of ourself, even. And so throughout Lent, uh, as we um, follow the, the uh, gospel lectionary passage, we're approaching it with this lens of like, what sort of deepness are we being invited into? A deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper understanding of this life that we're being invited into, or a deeper understanding of ourselves along the way. Uh, and each week, uh, we're ending with our sermon response ritual, which is um, to pair a question with a rock. And uh, we invite you to carry this rock throughout your week, um, put it somewhere meaningful um, that you'll see it and allow this question to um, uh, to, to work on us uh, throughout the week or dare we say like haunt us uh, from like a Holy Ghost sort of perspective, right? Um, but allow it to continue to, to work on us throughout the week. So uh, that's where we're headed for this morning. Um, but as we uh, get ready to jump in, I invite you to join me for a word of prayer. Loving God, uh, we are grateful uh, for this chance to to gather together. Um, We're grateful for technology um, and the chance that we have to to be together each week, despite um, uh, the the inability to to be together uh, physically in person right now. Uh, God, we give you thanks for an even greater mystery that your spirit uh, meets each of us in our various homes. And that the same spirit that meets us in our homes is uniting us and connecting us and bringing us together in this very moment. So God, as we turn to the scriptures now, um, uh, we we uh, acknowledge your spirit and ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us and shape us and form us as we wrestle through them today. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I grew up in a pretty poor household. Um and uh, much like most uh, occurrences of poverty, like it was a, there were complex reasons for why we were poor. Um, some of it had to do with choice. Um, my parents both chose to work in uh, ministries and human service sector, which I don't know if you know this. Don't tend to pay an awful lot. Um, but you pair that with some poor financial choices that they made, and like uh, we were kind of riddled in debt. Um, but there was also circumstances beyond our control uh, that added to like this uh, this this place of being strapped for cash, and some of that involved like my dad's severe mental illness and the fact that um, he wasn't able to work. Uh, some of that was involved with my dad had all of these medical crises back to back to back and we uh, because they chose to work in ministries and human service sectors they didn't have insurance and so now we had all of these uh, medical bills and so what resulted the result of all of this was that I grew up in a pretty poor household now nobody ever like told me uh, that I was poor (laughs) my parents never said hey we're, we're poor but I certainly had a growing awareness as I got older that um, our financial situ- situation was different than some of my friends. And as I continued to get older and have this growing awareness, um, I began to realize that um, our socioeconomic status would be a limitation in my life and that this would prevent me from doing sorts of things uh, in my life. And so like uh, as I got older and discovered that my friends were going on trips for spring break, I knew that that was not something that we would ever do Uh, i knew that there would be no trips to disney no trips to universal anything like that instead it was laying on the couch watching reruns of sports center uh all day which i was quite content to do uh, by the way um this meant that like when my friends would get a, a new um video game system for christmas i was still playing the one that was put out like 10, 15 years ago. And while they were playing the newest edition of Madden, I was playing with players who had long since retired. Um, this meant that when my friends were going off to sports camps to uh, uh, get better and get specific coaching, my sports camp looked like a slab of concrete with an old busted rim on the side of a beaten up garage. <laughs> so I, I had this awareness that like this was going to be a limitation in my life. And fortunately, like it never became a bitterness for me. Um, it was certainly a disappointment, like I wish my life would have been like all of my friends, but it didn't lead to like any sort of bitterness. But I recognize that that's not always the case, right? Um, there are times in our lives where we can experience some sort of limitation, um, and particularly if that limitation is placed on us, um, that can lead to all sorts of bitterness, because oftentimes that, that limitation that's placed on us is because of something that's far out of our control, and because that limitation is placed on us for something that's outside of our control, it can it can be experienced as something that's unfair or unjust. Uh, so maybe for you, one of the limitations that you faced in life was your socio- socioeconomic status, and you realized that you just couldn't afford the things that you needed or that your family needed for a successful and flourishing life. Um, or maybe one of the limitations that you experienced was uh, the part of town that you grew up in, and you realized that you didn't have the same sort of, like, um, access to certain, certain things that you needed for your life or as you applied for a job they saw your address and said you certainly aren't qualified um, maybe you've experienced some sort of limitation because of your gender or your sexuality and somebody told you that like there are certain things that you can and cannot do because of that um, for others of us there's some sort of limitation that's placed on us because of something that was within our control um, but it was something that we did in the past but that past choice continues to have uh, present um, consequences for us uh, and continues to like, place all sorts of barriers uh, before us. I often think of people who, found them, or who were formerly incarcerated, who um, want to get out and want to make a better life for themselves, but there's this big red flag on their folder that creates all sorts of limitations. Whatever your limitation may be, if you've experienced a limitation, you know that limitation seems to prevent some level of participation. And this limitation can lead to you feeling like some sort of second class citizen or less than. And if you come, and if you keep bumping into these limitations time and time again, then this feeling of being a second class citizen or this feeling of being less than can actually begin to shape and form us and convince us that we are indeed, like at the core of who we are, a second class citizen or less than. Now, while all of this is incredibly devastating, in some ways I think um, we've we've uh, come to assume this <laughs> uh, as it relates to like our broader, greater society. Right? Uh, we live in a culture and a context that's uh, often pretty dog eat dog, right? And so, uh, for somebody else to fail or to succeed, there has to be some sort of limitation on us. Um, but what about like within the community of faith? Like, do we experience these same sort of limitations when it comes to the community of faith, this community that has dedicated itself to living around uh, this life that God is inviting us into? And if we are experiencing these same sort of limitations within the, the community of faith, then it certainly seems as though we should address it and talk about it and bring some light to it. So uh, there's this moment early on in the uh, Gospel of John where Jesus has a a bit of an unusual interaction, and it seems as though throughout this unusual interaction, he's beginning to address this question of limitations. So uh, this comes from John chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and we're going to work our way through this kind of bit by bit um, because there's a lot of moving pieces, and I think if we work our way through these moving pieces, it'll help us make sense at the end. So... We're going to get in the weeds, but we're going to ask the question, what's going on here at the end? So, John 2, verse 13 begins, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So John gives us a big indication here of what's happening. He says, the Passover of the Jews was near. Now, the Passover was this major, major celebration, this major, major holiday for the Jewish people. Um, it would be like right up there with Easter for Christians right like this is like the pinnacle of celebrations and holidays that we revolve our year around and the the Passover was this celebration of this time in their history where God stepped in and acted definitively and decisively to bring about an act of liberation for the people so the 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 Jewish people the Hebrew people at this point uh, were in uh, were enslaved to the world superpower of the day, Egypt, and God stepped in and freed them and liberated them so that they could experience a sense of freedom and no longer being oppressed by Egypt. And so uh, year after year, the people celebrate this great act of liberation uh, that God did for them. Now, we're told that uh, Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, this would have been a very standard practice for a first century Jew because the Passover was such a major sort of celebration for them. uh, It's what's called like a a pilgrimage sort of holiday. So all able-bodied Jews in that day would have made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the holy city, to celebrate with all of their fellow Jews this definitive and decisive act of liberation in their past. Now, the city of Jerusalem would swell from, like, its normal population of, like, 50,000 to, like, over 180,000 people. So think about, like, what happens in Canton the first weekend in August, right? We have uh, faithful pilgrims from all over the country that come to pay homage to the football gods, right? Kidding, but also kind of not kidding, right? So we have a similar sort of thing. All of these pilgrims coming uh, to to celebrate and to... uh, enter into remembrance of this great act of liberation. Now this word remembrance is a key detail of this. um, Because uh, throughout scripture when we see the word remembrance, it's not just simply something to call to mind. But it's it's a call to remember something, to put flesh and blood back on it to re-enter into the story, to take something in th- from the past and live it out and bring it into the present moment. So enter, to enter into remembrance of the exodus, to enter into remembrance of the liberation, wasn't just to recall something in the past, but it was to bring about this story of liberation in the moment, to be people of liberation right here, right now. And yet, we're going to find something very different as the story unfolds here. So John continues on, and he tells us that in the temple, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Now, for us, this is probably a bit of a strange detail because uh, most of us have probably never walked into First Mennonite and found uh, tables with uh, people selling sheep or cattle or anything like that, right? maybe some Girl Scout cookies if we're lucky, but not sheep or cattle, right? But this would have been a pretty standard and necessary practice in the first century. Um, So first off, like, again, people are making pilgrimage to Jerusalem, right? So if you're walking hundreds of miles, uh, think about having to carry an animal with you. Now, a key detail of the Passover was that you would sacrifice some sort of animal, and this animal needed to be unblemished. You're probably not going to get an unblemished animal after traveling for hundreds of miles, right? So Free yourself of that burden, just buy an animal at the, se- at the temple. But secondly, uh, this practice of the money changers was necessary because uh, you couldn't use Roman currency in the temple. Uh, it had the face of Caesar on it, which was idolatry. And so you would exchange to get your Jewish currency so that you could use that in the temple uh, to make your sacrifices. So it was a necessary practice, but it was also a perverted sort of practice. Because while it was good and necessary at, on the front end, Um, To exchange money meant that there were exchange fees and exchange rates. And if you're Mr. and Mrs. Moneybags, like this is just chump change. But if you find yourself on the lowest uh, rung on the socioeconomic ladder, um, and you've just traveled hundreds of miles, these fees would have been incredibly debilitating. And so as Jesus enters into the temple to uh, participate, to remember this act of liberation, what he finds here is, is um, uh, uh, what he finds here is some, some barrier being constructed uh, that puts a limitation on other people from experiencing access to the life of God in the community of faith. And we have this great irony of the Passover, right? And we recognize the thing that often frees us is the thing that we use to enslave others. So, uh, if you would guess, Jesus isn't real happy about this. So, John continues on and he tells us uh, that making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle, and he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So here we get a little different image of Jesus than the one that we are uh, maybe comfortable with, right? (laughs) And Jesus uh, sees this injustice, sees that there are these limitations that are being constructed that prevent others from experiencing or accessing the life of God in the temple. And he channels all of this Old Testament prophet energy, and he chases out the sheep and the cattle. Now this is a really important detail. The sheep and the cattle were the traditional sacrifice, Again, if you were like Mr. and Mrs. Moneybags, this is what you would buy, and this is what you would use for a sacrifice. But if you weren't Mr. and Mrs. Moneybags, and if you were struggling with money, written into the law was this exception that you could sacrifice doves. This was the alternative sacrifice. So Jesus chases out the traditional sacrifice, and then we're told he comes back to those selling doves. Which tells us that like Jesus is about to like throw down right now, right? <laughs> and Jesus looks at them and he says, "You that place limitations that prevent others from accessing the life of God in the temple, get out of my Father's house." <laughs> it seems as as though Jesus is taking uh, these limitations very, very seriously and is wanting to like dismantle them and deconstruct them in a very like evident uh, and almost a very overdramatic sort of way. Now, per Jesus and uh, John, uh, things take a, a bit of a strange turn here and get a bit vague. So he continues on, he says, The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us uh, for doing this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple Of his body. It seems as though Jesus here is acknowledging that the temple for generations has been the place where we access the life of God. But Jesus is saying the place that we access God is no longer this physical building, but it's now my physical body. All right, so what is going on here? Very strange story, right? Well, again, remember that the, the key detail of all of this is the Passover this, this celebration and this remembrance, this reenactment, this re stepping into the story of liberation. And yet, what Jesus finds when he shows up isn't liberation, but oppression and exploitation and limitations being placed on others. And so, Jesus here, it, it seems as though, is entering into a new sort of exodus. A new sort of liberation to bring about like, a freedom for those who have been under oppression. But the target of this new exodus or this new liberation isn't the Egyptians and the Hebrews. But this new exodus and this new liberation are those who want to construct barriers that uh, limit access to the life of God. And those who, uh, who have had their access to the life of God uh, limited by these barriers. And so Jesus uh, channels all of this decisive and definitive uh, liberating act of God and steps into this moment and begins to deconstruct all of these barriers that stand in the way and begins to tear down the limitations that prevent some people from accessing the life of God in the community of faith. And oh, by the way, after he's deconstructed all of that, he has the audacity to say that like, in my physical body is where we access the life of God and then with even more audacity goes to all of the people throughout the rest of the gospel who have been limited from entering into the temple and begins to bring the life of God to them. <laughs> now again, this story takes place within the context of like the, the community of faith. And while we're some like 2,000 years later, I think this story is continuing to invite us and Uh, almost like beckoning us to read ourselves into the story. And so I think it's uh, a helpful and necessary question for us to ask as we read the story is, are we a community of limitation or a community of liberation? Within the life of our community, are we constructing barriers um, that uh, prevent others from accessing the life of God within our community? Or are we joining in the liberating work of God to dismantle and deconstruct and tear down these barriers that prevent others from accessing the life of God and the community of our faith? So think about uh, our, our church, our congregation, this community of faith, and think about our practices, the things that we do, or our posture, our, our position towards things, or our, our policy, how we live our life together. In what ways are we constructing limitations that keep others out? And in what ways are we uh, joining in on the liberating work of God? This is a real question, by the way, and I, I, I have some, some examples from where I see things. We'll start with the good news, right? The, the places of liberation. Um, I think the fact that when we uh, think about our church leadership, and when we think about the people that lead us from up front in our worship services... Um, I think we see an awful lot of different faces, and I think that that's an example of the liberating work of God. And the reason why I say that is because with all of these different faces our different stories, um, our different perspectives, our different uh, education levels, different socioeconomic status, different genders. And I think uh, we've arranged ourselves in a way that on any given Sunday, somebody could walk into our community of faith and say, if that person can lead in this community, then surely I can at least belong in this community. Uh, Another place where I think we see the liberating work of God in our community is uh, our partnering with the Lighthouse. Uh, If you've been around the Lighthouse for like a minute, uh, it's pretty evident that they're tapping into the liberating work of God in our neighborhood, right? Right. Uh, and we as a church are uniquely positioned to say, by all means, use our resources, right? <laughs> you want to start an after-school program? Use all of our buildings, right? You want to do middle school, high school club? You want to have a summer camp? By all means, use our facilities. You want to start a college extension site? By all means, use our basement. If you're going to do th- these sorts of crazy things, by all means. Like, we want to step into the liberating work of God with you. Um, uh, but I think there's also some places where we see us participating in limitation as well. Um, one of those uh is what we're doing right now. We're on Zoom. <laughs> uh, and to be on Zoom requires a certain sort of like accessibility or knowledge of how to work technology that just not everybody has. Now again, I don't I don't know of a better option for this season, but I'm I'm very aware of that. And I'm grateful for people that call others and and walk them through that and and help them get on. Like I think I think we're seeing liberation in the midst of limitation. Right. Um, another place where I I think uh, we can see some limitation is uh, we have some insider info in our church, right? <laughs> uh, there's a, a shared collective knowledge that's not obvious to everyone, and I think in some ways this is a really beautiful thing because it speaks to like the depth of community right like if you show up to a family reunion at your grandma's house year after year like nobody has to tell you where the bathrooms are you just know right but I think on the other hand it makes us a really difficult nut to crack if you're trying to be part of our community Um, again like if you've ever shown up to a family reunion at your spouse's grandma for the first time and nobody told you where the bathrooms are like that limits your uh, ability to, to fully join in, right? So we're aware of it, right? We move forward with this awareness, and, and hopefully, we can begin, begin to see liberation come out of it. And so we come back to this time and time again, and constantly are asking the Spirit, show us where we're, limit, where we're, where we're constructing limitation and help us to move towards liberation. Now, lastly, um, we've been looking at this in the context of community. Um, But I I think this is also a really helpful question for us to ask ourselves individually, because what is a community other than a bunch of individuals together, right? And so we come to uh, our rock for today. And I think rather than asking the question of, are we a community of limitation or liberation, I think maybe it's helpful to ask, am I a person of limitation or liberation? As I think about my life, am I... Am I someone who is constructing barriers that prevent others from accessing the life of God? Or am I joining in on the liberating work of God and deconstructing these barriers um, so that others can fully experience the life of God? So maybe a a limitation in your life is you recognize that there's some sort of prejudice or bias towards a certain group of people. Um, And maybe this isn't your fault. Like, this is the, the story that you were handed because of your family or your context. But it's certainly our responsibility to address this, right? And so a move from limitation towards liberation is to begin to expose ourselves to uh, these sorts of people that we have prejudice or bias towards, right? It means that we uh, follow different people and different voices on social media. It means that we begin to do anti-racism work uh, so that we can experience this liberating work of God in our life. Uh, Or maybe uh, for you, uh, a limitation is... uh, there are certain people in your life that you want to view as an inconvenience. Um, guilty of that one, right? <laughs> um, but the problem with this is if like, we view somebody as an inconvenience, then that means that other people probably view them as an inconvenience. <laughs> and this can begin to like creep into their identity that I am just an inconvenience. And so a move from limitation to liberation, I think, can look like being courageous enough to look someone in the eyes And channel the words of the great songwriter and theologian Bruce Hirschberger, and say, you count, you matter. (laughs) And begin to strip away these limitations that are constructed over them that tell them that they're just an inconvenience and say, no, I see you as a person created in the image of God. And I want you to live your fullest life. So all of this is taking place in Lent, the season of uh, reflection, repentance, and I wonder if this is a really good time for us to uh, identify these places of limitation in our life. To identify the, the, the places in our life where we ourselves are sitting at the table of the money changers. Constructing barriers that limit others from, the access, from accessing the life of God. And maybe it's time to begin to ask Jesus to step into these places and flip some tables and to take our hand and begin to deconstruct these barriers and to tear down these limitations so that all can experience the liberating work of God in their life and in the community of our faith, uh, our community of faith. Let's pray. Loving God, um, we're grateful that uh, out of all of the the different attributes and characteristics um, of who you are, that liberating is one of those. That, God, you want to uh, uh, take away the barriers that prevent us from accessing um, the life of you in a community of faith, and that you want to tear down these barriers that want to uh, prevent us from experiencing all that you've created us to be. So, God, I pray that your spirit would empower us to move from a a community of limitation and and walk boldly into a community of liberation uh, and calling out the the fullness of each one of us uh, so that we can experience the life that you've called us into and have invited us into and created us for. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.